Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Um, we have part two coming up for you of Jason Belzer, and Jason is... Uh, in addition to being attorney and teaching uh, about all of these things, he's, I guess you could say, ahead of the curve with NIL, and his company represents universities as well as athletes. So it, it's all part of this bigger conversation. And what's interesting is um, this was recorded uh, last week, right? The first week in December. Now, the second full week in December, we get news today that. Um, there's a judge in West Virginia, which granted a 14 day stay on the rulings for two time transfers, specifically in West Virginia. But now the NCAA is allowing all student athletes on a second transfer during this period of time to play. And this is crazy. I, I, I actually feel bad for the NCAA. And I've been, as most of you know, I've been a supporter of the idea of amateurism, the idea of, of educating more people than would ever get an opportunity. And, you know, I, I understand that with the times and with the exploding finances and ability to generate more revenue, that athletes, student athletes can be taken care of better. Uh, but I, I also knew what NIL would turn out to be, which is pay for play. But, but this is where I feel really bad for the NCAA. This was a rule that I can't think of a coach, administrator, assistant coach didn't want in place. Where your second transfer, again, remember, like, here's what's bullshit about all this. No one said if you transfer a second time, you can't play or be on scholarship, but you would have to sit for a year, which there is no negatives there. And if you're, you're going to go to your third school, what's the difference in sitting a year when you didn't sit in between your first and second school? But, but the, the, the real craziness to this is schools voted on this. It was approved. And a champion, really, behind the scenes by most co- by coaches and by administrators. Many of the same coaches and administrators, especially coaches, who wanted this, pushed for it, were the ones like Matt Brown. I mean, this is where coaches are so full of shit that they do themselves in, 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 a no justice that no one believes the word they say. Most of them are not, but like, take Matt Brown. There are quotes from him saying how the system had to change and that there needed to be some guardrails in place, especially for second-time transfers. Then he has a wide receiver who's a two-time transfer, and he wants him to play right away. UNC writes a nasty letter towards the NCAA, and eventually Tez, Tez Walker gets to play. Right? I mean, it's, 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 it's craziness. So now what? Now the NCAA is unofficially or officially powerless? I mean, again, like, what? What is the purpose of having a governing body made up of voting members 
if you approve a rule and six months into the rule being in place, the court comes in and is like, nah. And what it's pushing us towards is what Jason is discussing in the spot, which is professionalization of amateur athletics. And I'm, I'm going to like, you'll be able to draw this podcast up anytime you want. It's already a fucking mess. It's going to be a disaster. And what's going to happen as Jason has, has pointed out is, yeah, there'll be some kids that make money and agents will make lots of money and lawyers will make money and accountants will make money. But the, what will happen is uh, one of two things and probably both one, eventually there'll be some sort of collective bargaining because that's essentially what's being said here, right? That these are basically non-competes and, but what is the purpose of having a contract you sign with the school for a scholarship or even for NIL? And yet there's no non-competes in them. What, what business has that or what scholarship has that? I, I don't know. But apparently you have to have a sign non-compete. And in order to have a sign non-compete, you're probably going to have to have some sort of collective bargaining. Well, here's the thing about collective bargaining. You don't just get what you want, right? Like, oh, we want this, we want that. Like, it doesn't just work that way. And as much as we think that schools and the NCAA or whoever, however the negotiation takes place, will acquiesce to the student athlete, the truth is at some point they'll put their feet down and go, no, we're not doing it. And here's the problem with it from the student athlete's perspective. In professional sports, go and track. Baseball is said to have the strongest union, although their last two deals have not nearly been as strong as the past. Football's union, for example, cowers constantly to the NFL, and they have a 10-year collective bargaining agreement. Basketball, the same. Now, what most people see is how much money the top-end guys are making, and it's a lot. It's a lot. But it's all a respective ratio uh, of what they're bringing in. And it's going to be interesting because you have, you do have title nine, which Jason addresses in this pod and the previous pod, you know, you do have this tax exempt status that college sports operates under. Um, and you have these lack of non-competes, but here's the bigger, the biggest issue, I believe, in addition to the fact that nobody wants to pay taxes and the, and there's title nine, and that's going to be a, a mess to kind of sort through. The biggest issue is that if the players say, hey, we're, or the, the, the schools say, that this is our offer, take it or leave it. Do you really think that college football players and college basketball players are going to walk away from the offer? Let me give you a hint. The answer is no. Because all of these deals that get done in any professional sport, they focus on the rank and file. Because that's the vast majority of the kids. And so the rank and file will likely be well compensated across the board. The rank and file will get some sort of extended insurance after they get done in college. The rank and file will have uh, in, in probably numerous benefits and some guardrails so that they can't transfer and not sit out or um, when they can actually make the NIL or how much academics has to do with it. They may even have to pay for their own uh, education as well as the taxes and the benefits they receive. But if they say no, if the colleges say, no, this is it, you, you think that, again, we're not talking about the 10, 15 kids that can go and play in a G League or that can go and play overseas for overtime elite. Even if we take that as the top 30 kids, there are 360 plus Division One schools in men's college basketball. There's 13 scholarships a pop. You do the math. You think all those kids are sitting and not collecting a penny? And not going to school? 
Yeah, that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen in football. Doesn't happen in basketball. So we're at a bit of a crossroads. And as much as this interview was kind of epic foreshadowing, the foreshadowing is for things that look to be likely to come. Here's part two of my discussion with Jason Belzer. When somebody comes to you, a school comes to you, what do you say? Just give, give, give me your collective, give me how you do it, and we'll take care of the rest? Yeah. So when we still speak to an institution, whether it's an institution that has an existing collective or one that doesn't, and I'll give you a great example, two different examples. We just launched the collective at Syracuse on behalf of the university. The university didn't really have one. Whereas at Vanderbilt, we took over an existing collective that was a nonprofit and are transforming it into a commercialized collective. When we go to any institution, we say that there is a total addressable market for NIL at that institution. And what that means is that if we took every dollar that every student athlete could make at that school, put it all together, we get a number. We actually have a formula for figuring that out. And we break that up into three buckets of revenue. Bucket number one is what we classify as a member. These are usually fans and alumni that are paying anywhere between 10 to 50, $100 a month to be part of a club, to have access to content, experiences, merchandise, and other elements. So no different than when you pay for your Netflix subscription or your Costco membership. At Oklahoma, Crimson and Cream, our average member pays $41 a month to be a member of Crimson and Cream. And for that, we have more than 2,000 people that are part of that membership program. Our belief is that at every Power Five, we can probably average around 10,000 people. You do the math on that, at 25 bucks a month, that's more than $3.5 million a year in revenue. The second bucket are what we classify as brands, businesses, corporations, local businesses, regional and state businesses, and then national brands that want to do real NIL work with student athletes. And then the third are the donors, right? That's the tail wagging the dog in NIL right now. And what we do is instead of just taking the donor money and signing a kid and then not giving a shit, we sign the student athlete to a retainer contract. So at OU, all 85 football players, all 15 men's basketball players, and all 20 softball players are under a retainer with us. They owe us a certain number of social media posts. Every football player at Oklahoma receives a minimum of $24,000 in right, in guaranteed money from us. And because of that, they give us 18 social media posts, 10 appearances, 50 autographs, as well as usage of their name, image, and likeness. And so what we do is we sell those assets back into the marketplace. I did a deal with Danny Stutzman and Taco Bell and Snickers. I did a deal for every single football, men's and women's basketball player, and softball player at OU with Hal Smith Restaurant Group. I'm sure, Doug, you may know Hal Smith directly. You've eaten at his restaurants anytime yep. you go to Oklahoma. Every kid sure. got $500 for two social media posts, all organic, pre-sold. That money comes back to the university, or in this case, the collective, not as incremental revenue to the student athlete, but it comes back into the budget. We bought the asset from the student athlete. The student athlete activated the asset with us. And then we have recouped that money to put back into the collective. I did a deal with Paramount CBS to promote the new season of Survivor. We had 153 student athletes from 16 different universities, including Oklahoma, 
Uh, we had kids from LMU and Santa Clara who we work with all across the country. And they did a social post. It was sold at a predetermined rate card, somewhere between $75 to $250 per post. And that was their job for that week or that month that they were getting compensated by us. And that money has now since been returned to their respective collective to be deployed in the future for whatever. That is what the model will look like here, period, end the story, right? When we go to RevShare, if a school is going to go pre-purchase the rights of the student athlete, hopefully it will be organizations like ours, probably will include MMRs like Learfield and Playfly that will be going out and reselling that inventory to brands and businesses as part of a larger portfolio. No different than selling the power of the student athlete's social media feed to push content, to push highlights. That's what this is. It's not rocket science. You just have a lot of different people organizing things in a lot of different ways. And you need somebody that can come in and slowly do it. Given enough time, we would be able to figure it out. We've, you know, we have 40 plus schools, but this thing is moving so fast that I don't know how quickly we're going to be able to make it figure it out before the courts decide or Congress decides to do something stupid. What's the downside? There is no downside for the student athlete. The downside is for the coaches, the administrators who are making millions and millions of dollars right now who don't want to lose that money. I mean, at the end of the day, if there's if if tomorrow we were forced to move into revenue share, then every football coach, every basketball coach is going to have to take a salary cut. Every administrator is going to have to take a salary cut. Do you think those people want that? Maybe the, some of the coaches do, right? I think some of the coaches at this point are just tired. But if you're a lifelong administrator and you're an AD making a million dollars a year or whatever it is, do you want to lose out on that money? How many administrators, how many administrators make that kind of money? Uh, in the power five, in the, yeah. in, the, well, in the power four, I don't think there's an administrator in the power four that's making less than half a million dollars at this point. Okay. But, but, but like, look, we're, we're reasonable people. If you're an, you're, you're talking about only athletic directors, there is nobody else making half a million dollars. Okay. Right. How many okay. football coaches are making $10 million? Do you think that no question, the, the, the football coach thing has exploded? The, the problem is that just like everywhere else in life, there's really no middle class. Right. And, you know, you're saying administrators when most of the administrators don't make anything. And then even the ADs make a million dollars, considering how much you're raising and managing and how many years it takes in the business to get to that place. It's not like you fell out of bed and you're making a million. Whereas now you're asking players to players are going to be coached by coaches who make less money than them in some cases. And there is no, um, to this point, there is no true obligating contract, you know, where, I mean, one of the things that I, I think you're pretty realistic about is if you're really an employee, it's not all a win for the student athlete, right? Because there are, there are some, there's going to be some guardrails there. And I'm just wondering, like, obviously the Olympic sports are going to get, are, are, are going to really struggle, especially at the non SEC Big Ten schools. They just don't, they just don't have the money there. Um, the, the schools like the Vanderbilts, the Northwesterns, they're going to continue to struggle, I think. Um, but then the other part to it is, will, will this change the transfer portal and the ability for players to essentially become free agents at, at, at a drop of a hat? Well, so 
if you're a student athlete, and I think you and I are on the same page with this, we don't want them as employees. And a student athlete shouldn't want to be a, an employee because then you're going to, number one, your tuition is going to be taxable income. And many schools, let's just say you're going to play a USC, they're going to say, okay, we just won't pay your tuition and you will give you $100,000 and you can pay your tuition yourself, right? right. Yes. So that's number one. Number two, you can be fired. And that's not something people want. What student athletes want in an optimal world is a revenue share without being deemed an employee. Give us a cut. Right. They want, I'm right. You want the best of both worlds. But again, that doesn't, you have a lot of people in your position pushing towards the employee model and they, they're not thinking about the downside to it. Well, the lawyers don't care. The lawyers just want to get paid. I mean, look at this lawsuit that was filed at Oregon last week. We know, we just said, you just said it, that Olympic sports, particularly women's sports, are in deep shit, right? When this flips. And yet you have a school like Oregon that can probably afford to do these things. Here are people suing, not realizing that this new era of what's going to happen is going to be the worst thing that ever happens to women's sports. We are at peak women's sports in this country. I can tell you that the Olympic committees and the individual governing bodies are deathly afraid of what may happen. How are we going to be able to have a competitive Olympic program? Right. That's why these, uh, uh, you know, organizations were put together in the first place. If Olympic sports are going to get slashed because these schools can't afford it, it just doesn't make sense. And so no school that can make money from their football program is going to not play high level football, but they will immediately go and cut whatever sports they need to cut to be able to finance it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have scenarios where some school plays football and basketball on the men's side, and then they got a couple of women's sports and every men's tennis and golf and it's gone. Who needs it? Right. I just don't know if that ever happens. Right. Like I understand that it's trending that way, but to get to that place, you know, you know how like it's not just the NCA, but these schools, they can't stomach cutting these sports they can't stomach the bad press i mean they they want they want to if the look court like says these student athletes are employees and you must collectively bargain they will not have a choice they will have to come up with this money i don't know can they go tap their endowments there are big rules around that but sure if all of a sudden i got to go loan some money against my endowment potentially but that's why i believe that private equity will play a big role in this in fact they'll come to the rescue and that's what it is. I mean, what happens if this goes down and the Saudis come in and they say, yeah, we'll we'll loan you guys a billion dollars. We'll take care of it. What happens if they lose this Johnson case and there's treble damages? Where are they going to they're going to come up with the multi-billion dollar damages and then have to figure out how to go support their other programs at the same time while having to each school is going to have to go pay because all the schools are co-defendants. So all the power four schools are going to have to come up with their hundred million dollars to pay the damages. And then they're also going to have to go figure out how to pay their athletes as in revenue share. And they're going to have to figure out how to support their other sports. That is what is about to happen. That's why I say we are in a tumultuous period, but what is going to happen is going to be violent because there's going to be some really tough decisions. And I don't know, maybe, you, Congress bails out college sports and they say, hey, we're going to give everybody a billion dollars to figure this out. You're right, but I wouldn't bet on that. 
Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You mentioned the tax-free status. I, I know that that's a big, scary, scary word to lose, you know, with all of these schools is the ability to, to, to not have to pay taxes on the revenue. And then, and then there's the... There's the athletes are going to have to pay taxes. There's the how do you make them pay for the education piece, right? It's like a member thing. That part gets really kind of murky. So are you of the mindset that there's going to be a breakoff or does this keep everybody together? But the breakoff is just in schools that can't really compete because they don't have the money. Well, what is a breakoff, right? I mean, Go look at the the football rankings for this past week. We got Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Missouri, Penn State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, LSU. All of these schools, these the top 13 schools are going to be in two conferences next year. So what is the breakoff? I mean, if you have the top 40 schools leave, does it matter at that point? They go out from underneath the NCAA, but does anything really change other than what the football and basketball structures look like? No. I mean, it's already there. We already have the super conferences. That's literally where we are sitting out now. You know this, Doug, that those schools, those top 13 schools are deploying more money in NIL than the vast majority of anybody else. Combined. So they're already paying their kids. It's just not being done over the table. It's still being done under the table in a sure. way. What did you think of Charlie Baker's proposal? Is that is that along the lines that's the eight to ten million dollars? Is do you do you no, think that I think the proposal as written is nonsense? Uh and while I appreciate the effort, number one, so let's break down the proposal, the most important parts of it. First part of the proposal is that schools in order to be part of this new division where they get to make rules and decide what they want to do and contract directly with their student athletes for nil have to pay a minimum of thirty thousand dollars to 50 percent of the athletes on their at their school of which 25 percent can go to men and 25 percent can go to women so essentially they have to pay three million dollars for football or for men's sports but if they do that they have to pay three million dollars for women's sports and if they want to pay football more they have to give more to women how is that going to work and why would a school like 
Texas, who gets to pay football $10 million right now without paying anything to women's sports or Alabama or anyone else. 97% of collective money goes to men's sports, by the way. We know this because we run more schools than anybody else. We have that information. 97% goes to men. Why all of a sudden am I going to be forced to have to share that money with the women under this new moniker? And then the second question is, if I'm a football or a basketball player, now you're going to share even more of the revenue that I'm generating with non-revenue sports, specifically women's sports? Why would I ever go for that as a football or basketball player? This doesn't make any sense. We want to get as much money into our pie. If we're generating, we want as much of the pie as we can get. Now you're saying 50% has to go to females because of equity? That's nonsense. That There's no logical economic argument to say that that is a real system that anybody is going to go towards. Why wouldn't the SEC and the Big Ten just be like, uh, yeah, we're going to be good. We're just going to go do our own thing and we're not going to follow that stupid rule because we want to be part of the NCAA? Who gives who cares? We can just go there. It's not part of the NCAA as much as the fear of Title IX. And the appearance of not, you know, again, so much of it is about appearance. You know, they, it's just like any. I'm uh, sure Texas A&M cares any, a lot about appearances after firing Jimbo Fisher. They don't, but I'm telling you, like, again, administrators. I mean, how many of these sports programs have had sports that are canceled and then people go rally to save it? And they kind of patch it together and save it, knowing that if it's run like a business, they'd be cut. They'd all be cut. They lose money. But we do it be out of fear of Title IX and to make it look good. Right. Remember, Title IX doesn't matter if the athletes are employees. If I made 85 football players employees, that they longer factor into my Title IX equation, which is why it actually, for the student athlete, we don't want them to be employees, right? But for the school... Hey, if I don't have to have 85 uh, corresponding scholarships on the female side, I can maybe balance my budget. There is no requirement whatsoever. It's the same reason why the women's basketball coach at Oklahoma State makes a fourth or a fifth of what Mike does on the men's side. Title IX is equal opportunity, but market rate is I got to pay the basketball coach, the men's coach, a lot more than the women's coach. Same concept. Maybe you still have to have the sport, but you know we can gut it. We can do whatever we want. They're employees. One is an employee. One is a student athlete. Won't matter. What what college athletics doesn't want is they don't want to have to deal with collective bargaining because when you get to collective bargaining, it could be that fifty percent of the money has to go to the football players, and that is catastrophic. That that would could only be court order. Like they're not, they could ask for fifty percent. They're not getting fifty percent, right? Well, it's a bargaining, right? Who's going to force it, right? Who's going to organize them? And if they say we sit, we got a problem. What there's not lockouts in pro sports. There are, but the reason that the owners always win is they have the money. Sure, right? They have. They ha- they have the money, and you're talking about kids. It's like at the end of the day, like right, like the NFL deals, the NFL new tenure deal, a good deal, probably not for the top, you know, one percent or five percent, but for the rank and file. And you're going to have a lot of rank and file here that will say, like, look, the if they'll get scared, we got nothing, so taking something is better than taking nothing, regardless of the fact that they're not going to get nothing again. 
Agreed. So, I mean, it's one of those, it reads really good to think they could hold out, they could sit out, but the, the problem with that is it, it all looks the same to me. They all lock out, sit out until somebody says, hey, you're not getting your check. So, and oh yeah, by the way, additionally, like they're not unionized yet. There'll be plenty of people that will take whatever is given. And you, I, I would guess you'll have a year where you'll have some of the best athletes you know, threatening to sit by the wayside and they probably won't because they're already making money. And, right, and they're like, well, I rocked the boat. I'm good. And the rank and file will want to take whatever deal is presented to them. I don't disagree, but it's just a whole nother set of complicated issues. But we're not even there yet. We got to figure out this first before we get to. Is there any other part element of it we have not discussed? You know, I, I just want to reemphasize that when you get, and this is a warning for the industry, is that if private equity gets involved, private equity is business. They want return on their investment. Correct. And so if you hire a coach and he doesn't work out, you're fired. You don't get to go spend $75 million to buy somebody out and go hire somebody else. It doesn't work like that. And the vast majority of people in college athletics, we know a lot of them, they're good people. But they work in college athletics, not because they want to work in a revenue environment. They want them to work in an amateur environment. They're not built, nor do they have the experience to work in that type of demanding environment where every dollar counts. And so, unfortunately, that's where we're headed, right? Where you got to be able to perform. And this rinky-dinky, yeah, coach doesn't work out. I'll just fire him and raise a whole bunch of money. And it doesn't happen, right? People want return on their investment, especially if it's a PE firm, not a, you know, billionaire owner. It's not Mark Cuban who, all right, I'll just go buy my coach out and go hire somebody else out tomorrow. Yeah. And I I think, I think that's, I think that's the question is do more kids actually get exploited this way because, you know, they, they're not as good as advertised um, and you get money too soon and how do you react to it? I think that's that's kind of the fear is what what does it look like to them? It's the same issue with the multiple transfers. Like you get done playing and all right, who's your school? Who do you call when you need an actual job? And how do you adjust to the fact that you're probably going to make more in college sports than you are with your first job, maybe even your second job? And that's a tough adjustment for a lot of people. So that part to it is. Well, the simple concept to fix the portal issue is to let let collective sign multi-year agreements and lock people in. Right. Period. End the story. But problem solved. If I could assign Dylan Gabriel, I had Dylan Gabriel under a contract this year. Dylan decided to transfer. If I had him under a contract for two years and he breached the contract, I, I can still sue him, but I can at least have locked him in for so many years. And if the if Brent Venerable said, hey, we want to move on from Dylan because we want to go work and have Jackson Arnold start. OK, you still got to pay Dylan. Right. That is what it is. Or let him out of his contract. Jason, this is fascinating stuff, man. And and perfectly timely considering the news today of the NCA's proposal. I really appreciate you joining me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Doug. All right, that's it for my discussion with Jake with Jason Belzer. Uh, an incredibly fascinating guy. You can find him on social media. That's at Jason Belzer, B-E-L-Z-E-R. In the meantime, I appreciate you listening. Remember, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 5 Eastern, 12 to 2 Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com, and the iHeartRadio app.
I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 